Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing, the podcast that continues to make waves around the globe. And as we always do, we set records and then we break them. And then we break them. (laughs) My name is Jody Jenkins. My name is Tony Clement. And right off the bat, because we want to give as much time as we can to our amazing guest today, let's get through all our sponsors. We want to thank John Mutton, who is our presenting sponsor from Municipal Solutions. You can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca. Yes, and they have a lot of specialties, Jody, a lot of things going on at uh, Municipal Solutions, including business development, market analysis, energy and infrastructure advancement, strategic planning, stakeholder and government relations, and public policy development. They are a full shop for whatever you need, municipally, provincially, doesn't matter, municipalsolutions.ca. If there's one thing I've learned through this lockdown, there is one item that people simply can't go without, and that is coffee. So we got to give a shout out to Lord and Lady Coffee. You can find them online at lordandlady.ca. We have unbelievable roasts available there, whole bean for your enjoyment. And if you spend over $40 with your online orders, shipping anywhere in Canada is free. Check it out, lordandlady.ca. And then we want to thank Chris and the gang at Polytrack. Polytrack offers government relations professionals a secure hub to store their advocacy data. That includes stakeholder contact details, engagement reports, and key messages. You know, the last thing you want to do as a government relations uh, expert or, or, uh, or principal is spend all your time on the red tape, the compliance that you have to do uh, legally, you have to do as part of our legal framework for government relations. So get all that advocacy data at your fingertips. Less compliance and reporting time means you can grow your practice time uh, commensurately and we are asking you to visit polytrack.com that's polytrack with a q.com mention and another thing podcast when you sign up and then you receive their white glove onboarding service for free including tutorial and q a for your team polytrack.com now tony i know you probably have a great introduction for our guests so i'm just gonna throw one thing in there about this gentleman without giving away who he is but i do know that up until a few weeks ago he was texting me and one of his big things was he was telling me how his hockey rookie card i guess when he was younger was worth more than gretzky's but i think that changed about a month ago and so I'm excited to talk to this gentleman about that, but I'll let you introduce him. So, Yeah, we'll get some stories, I'm sure. But uh, it's with great uh, pleasure that And Another Thing podcast presents uh, His Worship, the mayor of Brampton, Ontario, Canada. Patrick Brown is coming to the program. I've known Patrick, I don't know, 30 35 years so in the young PCs and then he was a he was a councillor and Barry and then leader of the Ontario Progressive Conservatives and now he's mayor of Brampton we, we uh, we've uh, he we were in parliament together uh, we uh, we we helped each other in political campaigns and uh, did all those sorts of things so uh, it's really an honor to have Patrick in his current capacity as mayor of Brampton on our program Patrick welcome welcome. Great to be on your show. 
Yeah, it's great to have you. So, uh, you know, um, we're going to we do have to start with, uh, of course, the obvious question, which is the the state of things in Brampton with respect to COVID-19. Brampton has been a hot spot. Uh, I think that the numbers are a lot better now than at the at the height of the COVID, uh, the second wave, if you will. And I want you to explain to people why Brampton was a hotspot. I know you've got a great explanation. It makes sense to me. But why don't you go through that, first of all? Well, first of all, and, and Tony, I know you appreciate this because you were um, such a dedicated public servant to the residents of, of, of Brampton. Uh, but this pandemic has been hard on, on Brampton. If you look at parts of the country that have been hit pretty hard, you look at uh, um, North Calgary, you look at Surrey, you look at Etobicoke, Scarborough, and Brampton. The tendency is areas that um, are industrial areas that have large segments of essential workers, um, when there's lockdowns, it doesn't really change um, the day-to-day operations for many residents when you're, in a, when you're an essential worker. And, and in Brampton, um, two of our largest workforces are uh, transportation logistics um, and food processing. And so if you want to have food in the grocery stores across Canada, you need these essential workers at work. If you want to get medical supplies into the country, if you want to be able to use fulfillment centers, um, you know, a lot of people have the luxury of working from home. They can go to the grocery store. They can order off Amazon. And as these unsung pandemic heroes that make it possible. But that doesn't come without without risks. If you look at, at these work settings, it's the number one source for COVID transmission in Peel Region. Now, we have some essential workplaces that have had 400-plus cases. And so we know that we're taking on a greater risk. And, you know, what I've said throughout the pandemic is there needs to be a level of appreciation for those that continue to go into work um, during this pandemic and take on a risk for the betterment of the country because Canada's supply chain would be in in tatters if if we didn't have these individuals. So like and and I think you've been an advocate uh, on the sick uh, the sick pay issue, have you not? Yeah, in in the sense that, you know, I I don't think it's it's the one solution. I think there's a multitude of tools necessary, but what I do believe is is these essential workers, they've got Canada's back. You know, and, I, and Tony, I hear the stories every day of, you know, a, a trucker that goes into, into the States to bring in um, essential goods and they, they get COVID or someone working at a meat packaging plant and the processing plant and they get um, COVID. And so they're taking on a risk for us. And I think the very least we can do is have their back. And the ways that we can have their back are, you know, regular uh, testing, isolation centers, um, paid sick days. Um, right now, uh, we've done a study, and only a small percentage of of our population has access, um, of our essential workers have access to paid sick days. And a lot of people will say to me, wait a second, there's this Canadian recovery sickness benefit that Justin Trudeau introduced it. And let me say very clearly, it's nice to have a press conference where you announce a benefit. It's a different thing to having a benefit that's actually available to people. So, you know, what workers' organizations have told me, employee associations in these essential workplaces, is that this federal benefit, first of all, it's below minimum wage. And secondly, you have to wait three months to to get it. And so if if you're living paycheck to paycheck, um, then 
you're not going to be able to wait three months. You have to put food on the table for your family. You've got to pay your rent. And what's so astonishing is we actually we dived into the data because as we're petitioning the provincial and federal government about a problem, you know, we want to make sure that our submissions are data based. And so we looked at the contact tracing in Peel region and 25 percent of the cases that we've tracked since August have involved people that have gone into work with COVID, who have gone into work sick. 25%. And just imagine the amount of workplace outbreaks, uh, transmission that has flowed from the fact that we have so many people going into work sick. And and there's no disincentive. Uh, there's no incentive to stay at home because, of course, the the sick leave pay uh, is not available for three months. That's the point, I guess. Yeah, it's it, right now the benefit is broken. It doesn't work. People aren't aren't able to um, to access it. And when it comes to putting food on the table for your family or paying your rent, you know these these unsung pandemic heroes are putting their family first. Now, how does it work? I'd love to know uh, just this, the, the process. So you're a big city mayor. Uh, Brampton is what, uh, the 11th biggest city in Canada or something like that? Ninth largest city. We've grown Ninth. since you left, Tony. Okay. Things have, when I started, I think it was like 200,000 people when I was, uh, I think maybe 250,000 when I was member of provincial parliament. Yeah. So it's 700,000 now. Yeah, exactly. So big city mayor. Uh, you know, and obviously you're a member of the Federation of Canadian Municipalities and so on. How does it work? How do you, uh, first of all, how do you interact with uh, Premier Doug Ford? And how do you also press and pull for uh, Justin Trudeau as prime minister? What, what's, what, what's the process of that relationship with both of those cases? Well, there's a number of organizations that are bodies for advocacy. We have the GTHA Mayors Association, which is organized by John Tory, and that's an advocacy body that meets every Monday at noon um, virtually. We have the Ontario Big City Mayors, which meets usually about once a month. And then we have the Canadian Big City Mayors, which is headed by Don Iveson, the mayor of, of Edmonton. And that meets um, less less frequently, but you know during COVID we probably had more meetings than than normal. And normally, Deputy Prime Minister Christopher Freeland has been hands on in that organization, as has Catherine McKenna, the Infrastructure Minister. You know, this Wednesday we're having a meeting with the Prime Minister, and so there are avenues in which we can relay our concerns. And and in terms of of Premier Ford. You know, I, I, I give him credit. He is very hands-on. You know, I'll probably talk to him once or twice a week or I'll get a phone call and, and he'll um, uh, ask for perspectives on an issue. And so there's a greater level of dialogue, I think, between all levels of government that I've ever seen. You know, and, and I, I think this is very interesting. Uh, obviously, like I'm going to say the obvious, you don't have to comment on it directly, but, you know, your relationship with Doug Ford was strained for a while. He was your immediate successor as Ontario PC leader. There is uh, there is that move to eliminate a tier of government in Peel uh, region for a while, that controversy. But it sounds like, and I, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but I love your perspective on this. It sounds like all those uh, past issues have been buried uh, and you're seeing because of the crisis that you guys are working well together. Yeah, I, I think we certainly had a bumpy start in terms of working uh, together when he was um, uh, first elected for a variety of different reasons that we don't need to um, get into. But I would say, you know, since Dean French left 
as chief of staff, I've, I found the premier to be very collaborative. You know, he uh, invited me for breakfast and we talked about a, a multitude of, of, of issues and um, then invited me for dinner at, a, at, a, at his uh, home in Etobicoke. And, really? Um, and I've, I found that, um, you know, and, and, and he said it uh, to me, he says, the past is the past. Let's just find ways to, to work together and, and, and put our residents first. And um, there is a number of files we're working on together. And, and I found him really easy to work with. And, um, and it's, uh, you know, it's a very productive um, relationship right now. Patrick, I got to jump in yeah, quickly cool. here. Sorry, Tony. Just because you went to dinner at his house, and I know that was outside the lockdown, so I'm not going to nail you on that. Um, did he make cheesecake? He <laughs> <laughs> did not make cheesecake, and we had it outside, and dinner was outside, so it was in a safe environment. Yeah, but it was probably outside of lockdown, so you were fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that cheesecake, it's going to live on in infamy, I'm telling you. Um, hey, I got to... Um, I got to ask your perspective on the vaccine rollout. I mean, clearly this has got to be something you're talking to the prime minister about, but we're we're like number 33 in the world now. It's terrible. It's, it's It's a disaster and it's affecting Brampton. It's affecting all of us because we can't get back to work and back to some sort of normalcy until this issue is solved. You know, it's, it's not what you expect from a country as prosperous and successful as, as Canada, you know, we um, we shouldn't be number 32 on on the list, especially since the beginning of the pandemic. You know, the prime minister was bragging about how Canada had the most vaccines. Well, if you have the most vaccines after the pandemic is over, that doesn't do you much good. We need vaccines now. I need vaccines now in Brampton for our seniors, for our essential workers, you know, for our vulnerable residents, frankly, for everyone, so we can get back to normal. And so I find it infuriating uh, that there hasn't been the procurement efforts to get Canada these, these, these vaccines. And when I look at other countries so far ahead of Canada, um, it just makes you want to pull your hair out that uh, someone's dropped the ball in such an enormous fashion in Ottawa. Are you hearing it from Bramptonians too? Are they uh, talking to you about it? Absolutely. I, I get bewildered emails uh, from residents and some of them that you may know. Actually, just the other day I got an email, Tony, you would know him, Terry Miller. He runs up, he runs yeah, the yeah. local um, association of retired um, uh, people, you know, the, the, the CARP chapter. And right. you know, he was telling me, we've got 70,000 seniors. What the heck is happening? And and, and I get emails like that um, all the time. Uh, you know, why do we have to turn on our TVs and see, you know, people in the rest of the world being vaccinated? Why can't our government get the job done and get us these vaccines? Procurement should have been a priority. And and it's one thing to ask for quantity, but the delivery time is integral. And it seems like they've missed the mark on, on delivery. I, I You know, I don't want to be the last country that, that, that where our vaccines arrive. You know, and uh, I guess... My question is, so are you able to raise that with the prime minister then? Is that one of the topics that you would talk to him about? Yeah, well, you know, we, we've made advocacy. We're going to continue to engage in advocacy. Um, but then, and at the end of the day, you know, I think right now they're doing damage control. Um, what I'm being told is that the majority of our procurement um, wasn't intended to arrive until after after April first, and so I think they're just going to do a dance and a delay a delay game or a blame game until April first because um, you know they've they've dropped the ball on the on the delivery timelines. 
Yeah, and I got I got to say a couple. I think I think you're absolutely right. And then then they're gonna coming come in on their unicorns and say you know problem solved, you know uh, mission accomplished or whatever. Uh, meanwhile, we're going through hell right now. I I, uh, I raised this uh, uh, earlier with uh, the media, and I'm gonna continue to act on this drumbeat. But I was I was federal minister of health from 2006 to 2008. Before that, I was Ontario Minister of Health from 2001 to 2003, including during SARS. So I took my experience of trying to handle the, the SARS uh, epidemic when I went to Ottawa and became Federal Minister of Health. So the, one of the first things I did was make sure we had a national pandemic plan in 2006. And Theresa Tam actually worked on it, along with David Butler-Jones, who was head of the public health agency at the time. So we create a... Uh, a national pandemic plan for the first time, Patrick. Uh, Harper and Jim Flaherty, the finance minister, give give my department an extra billion dollars. We didn't no cuts, extra money to implement the first phase of the pandemic plan. Part of the pandemic plan was that there should be a local source for vaccine. And so we actually contracted with, and you you know this company, GlaxoSmithKline, because they used to have that big Mississauga operation going on. GlaxoSmithKline, international company, agreed to be the local source for vaccine in any pandemic for Canada. That contract was renewed for 10 years in 2011, so that takes you to 2021. Where's that contract? Why why did the federal government, why did the Trudeau government never uh, lean on GlaxoSmithKline to deliver contractually obligated local vaccine uh, for this pandemic? It's a, t- a total mystery to me. And uh, this is just one of the instances of how things have fallen down on this, uh, on this issue since uh, the beginning. So I'm pretty frustrated because, uh, as you say, they're finger pointing. It's Harper's fault. It's Mulroney's fault. But th- there were things in place. I'm surprised uh, they haven't blamed John Diefenbaker, too. Yeah, you know, exactly. So uh, I, I'm, I'm going to get on my high horse on this. And, and I just wanted you to know those facts because uh, this, is, this is something that is mystifying to me. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift gears. And um, I just want to ask some, ve- uh, some Brampton-centric questions because, uh, you know, I did represent Brampton, as you mentioned, and you do now. What's the most surprising thing you've learned about Brampton since you became mayor? Most surprising thing about Brampton, um, one thing I've learned is that um, you know pre-COVID, uh, I've never seen a city that is as is as busy um, as as Brampton. You'll know this well. You know, normally you, you, a lot of communities will have you know one or two events on a Saturday night. You could have a hundred events on a weekend in Brampton because it, it really is a cultural mosaic, and there's so many different communities within the city, and so not only culturally where you could have a series of of celebrations um but even geographically within the city you know there'll be a, a huddenville a event a bramley event you know it's a city of brampton but there are so many communities within the city and, and i i never realized um that dynamic until i um moved to brampton and um and and learned about all these little neighborhoods within the city and it's uh it's uh, actually something quite beautiful because you got a real variety within the city a lot of diversity, and uh, I, I think uh, Brampton's becoming a lot m- prouder of some of the cultural, uh, entertainment, and sports icons that that come from Brampton. It's really quite a list, isn't it? 
It is. And, you know, and there's a lot of accomplished Bramptonians who have been successful um, in arts, entertainment, sports, business, you know, you just name a few. I think Russell Peters is obviously very um, notable. Uh, we're trying to get him to come to my uh, New Year's levy, which uh, looks uh, positive. Awesome. Um, but, you know, you look at a lot of hockey players too. Sean Monaghan is one of the, you know, the incredibly um, talented Calgary Flames. And so, you know, and then, you know, Brampton's got a rich history too in, in sports that are not as uh, prominent, but you, you look at lacrosse, you know, no, no one produces more accomplished lacrosse stars than, than the city of Brampton. And so, yeah, there's, there's real talent that comes out of out of Brampton. You look at um, Alessia Cara uh, from a musical perspective, but there's there's just an immense amount of Brampton talent. Yeah, no, it's it's. Inc- uh, I, I gotta say, uh, whatever happened, I knew there was a controversy about the Brampton Excelsior Excelsior's lacrosse team. Was that was that resolved, or is that is that still- no? I, it's actually something that I'm taking on, and so someone. Someone from out of the country bought the team for $1,500 and all of a sudden decided they wanted to move it. And so we're objecting to that sale because this is a, a rich 150-year history. Yeah. Um, and um, and uh, it's not right that a team with so much history could be moved um, so easily. Um, I should note, we also have some famous novelists that come out of Brampton. I'm, I'm sure you've heard of, of Lynn Golding. I have. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning her. Ne- her next. This is my wife, by the way, for our audience. And her next book is coming out in May, part three of her uh, Beneath the Alders series, uh, which is uh, set in Brampton as a historical novel. So uh, I'm sure you'll get an invite to the virtual uh, book launch for that, Patrick. It's a great Christmas gift. If anyone needs ideas for for gifts. For sure. Absolutely. Hey, what's the best advice you ever got from Bill Davis, who is a former premier of Ontario, Brampton Bill, came from Brampton, still uh, still kicking after all these years. What's the best advice he gave you? Well, I feel very fortunate that, um, you know, that I um, have a, a friendship with um, with the former premier and, and I really benefited from his uh, advice. You know, he just lives down the road from me. And so I, I, I speak to him regularly but um you know there's there's really no one that i can think of who's who's shown more decency um and kindness uh than than the former premier and so there's so many topics that you know i've learned from him um you know you look at the environment you know how conservatives can can care um about the environment and be a conservative at the same time you know he created the ministry of environment in in, in ontario and if you look at his ability to to work across the partisan aisle and you know work with work work with political adversaries um and put residents first you know when i when, when i was telling him about the different perspectives um on my city council you know he was telling me about how he was incredibly successful at making minority parliaments work and how he he built great friendships with new democrat leaders and he said you know everyone on your council has something they care about and just channel people towards the issues that they're most passionate about and and everyone can be um productive you know he's just you know he, uh, he he's a treasure i i think it's he's 91 and, and, and I think he's a gift to Canada. And, um, you know, I hope he stays in, in good health because I think everyone can benefit from his, um, his, his advice and guidance. And one of the real privileges that I've had as, as mayor was um, being able to present the key of the city to, um, to, to, to the premier um, because there's no one more appropriate of recognition in Brampton than Bill Davis. 
I agree with you there. He was a great help to me when I was a member of provincial parliament for Brampton South, and uh, I'll never forget his kindness there. So I'm glad he's uh, he's doing the same for you. Jody, should we talk a little bit about hockey before we let our guest go? You're listening to The Tony Clement Show on the iHeartRadio Network. Um, yeah, I have a couple questions just uh, quickly, and we'll get to the hockey one in a second. But just a, a fun fact, and Patrick may remember this, or he may not, but I've only ever had two politicians in my house. One of them, our listeners will know, was Pierre Polyev, who slept on my couch. And the other was Patrick Brown, who sat in, uh, I think, my uh, nice recliner or something like that. But true story. Wow. I've never been to your house. No, you haven't. And Michelle Rempel was on my porch, but she wasn't in my house. So it doesn't really count. Tony, if you play your cards right, you too can get an invite. I know. I got probably a few I'm telling more. You, show. I'm telling you, it could happen. Patrick, my question for you is, and I'll, I'll be interested if you answer this one, is if you could put any politician that you've encountered between the pipes in goal and you had a shot on them and you knew you were going to score, like you could dangle them and everything, who would you want to score on? Like who would you want to like just make look like a, uh, a little silly? <laughs> um, I don't know for that one. Oh, I come on. <laughs> there, there, there's a few people I, I haven't been uh, fans of over the years, but uh, uh, no, no point of revisiting history. But uh, I would say playing hockey with anyone is always fun. I will say this, dude. I, I didn't think you would answer, but I, I got a point out because I got to give him props. Dan Albus, when he was on. We asked him, because he's an MMA guy, we asked him who he would want to roundhouse kick in Parliament, and he actually gave us a name. <laughs> he gave I didn't name. want to put that out there. He actually named a guy. So I'm just saying, he set the tone. So yeah. <laughs> I, I like asking these questions. Hey, but, what, what, uh, I, I, let me ask, though, because you've played hockey with a lot of NHL greats and former greats. What was the most exciting goal you scored in those situations? <laughs> well, I, I think when you're playing a charity game, the games are the, the, the goals aren't overly uh, exciting. It's, uh, it's just about the cause, and I should thank you because when I used to put on that big fundraiser for um, RVH when we're trying to get the cancer center built, guess who the first VIP was to drop the puck at an event that ended up raising $2 million over 10 years? The very first VIP was the health minister at the time, Tony Clement, who dropped that puck. Oh, wow. And, Look at and, that, Tony. And, then you should know that right now we're, we've moved that tradition. The tradition I started in Barrie, now we have a fundraiser every year for the uh, Osler Health System in Brampton. And the first year raised 450000 And we had Sean Monahan and Jason Spezza as, as the two captains. But, you know, if I was to share, you know, my favorite um, hockey memory, you know, a, a lot of people, because I was endorsed by Wayne Gretzky in, in the – 2014 leadership would would assume that I'd have some Wayne Gretzky um, memory, but I actually don't because I've never forgiven Wayne Gretzky for knocking out the Maple Leafs in the 1993 <laughs> Stanley Fair Cup semifinal. I, I'm still bitter about that Kerry Fraser call, but you know my favorite hockey player growing up was was Doug Gilmore, and and I've got to know him through charity work, and he's supported the the game I did in Barrie, and now supporting the game I'm I, I'm organizing each year in, in Brampton. And for me, being able to, to pass the puck around with him is pretty special because when I was growing up, I would never have thought that I'd, I'd have the chance to uh, get to know um, uh, Doug. And, um, it, you know, it it, um, it brings back your childhood memories and um, when when you get to play with people that you, you grew up watching. 
Patrick, Patrick, I got to jump in for a second because I, I can read between the lines. I might have been born at night, but it wasn't last night. And the answer is yes, Tony and I will drop the puck yeah, at we your will. next event. Okay, it's we fine. That's fine. Yeah, you don't we're... have to dance around. Just ask us. It's good. Um, I got to say, I got a funny Gretzky story. So Gretzky is exactly one day older than I am. So he turned 60 on January 26th, and I turned 60 on January 27th. But one of the craziest things uh, that happened in my life as health minister was there was a fundraiser for a, a downtown Toronto hospital, and they decided to do it as a fashion fundraiser. And they had Jackie Chan come in, and he has a clothing line in Hong Kong. And Wayne Gretzky and I modeled his clothing on a, on a runway, if you can believe it. I don't believe it. That's not it's, true. And unfortunately, this was pre, this was pre, like, phone, we, none of us had phones with uh, cameras in them. So I have no, no photos of the event, but there are, there's got to be some photos somewhere of Wayne Gretzky and I sashaying down the runway, wearing Jackie Chan's clothing line. Jody, if that doesn't merit an invite to your living room, I don't know what does. I, 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 I've tried. He won't. He won't even accept during this. He won't travel. He's very hardcore about the lockdown. And very I can appreciate that. I mean, I think we can all respect that. But, no, I've tried to get him to uh, to the home studio. He just won't do it. Well, tell him we can do a fashion show. Maybe that will <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. One, one. this is my final question okay. for real. Just because there's been a resurgence in – hockey memorabilia cards and collectibles patrick do you collect cards and if so have you ever or do you own a, a gretzky rookie because like those are like um, over a million dollars now depending on the condition but I, you know it's funny that you ask this question I, I do not own a wayne gretzky rookie card but my wife recently said to me you know you've got this old box that was in one of our um closet she says can you can we throw this out and i'm like no these are like cards from the 1980s i'm like there, there could be something valuable and she was in disbelief that i didn't want to throw out a box of old hockey cards so i'm clinging to my collection from childhood and i have yet to uh, abandon them yeah no it's and they're coming back like i i have buddies that are actually buying cards more it's it's like a resurgence on that front so you should definitely go through those cards you might have something uh Maybe there's a Tony Tanty rookie in there. Can, can you t can you tell that to my wife so next time she tries to get me to throw them out, I'll have yeah, uh, get her on, get her. Get her Jody on. Jenkins says that they're valuable. Yeah, <laughs> save them for the legacy of Theodore too. You know, so there you go. All right. Well, I got to say, Patrick, it's been a pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks so much for being here and being a good sport and uh, representing Brampton as you usually do so well. So, thank you for your visitation to and another thing podcast. My pleasure. Another excellent interview. And before we get into a little bit of debrief on that, I do have to say again, Dan Albus is the king because he actually named it and it was Ralph Goodale, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. He, like, the fact, the fact that he didn't even like flinch and just literally, he might've given it a couple seconds thought and said, Ralph Goodale, I would round out kick him. Like, there we that's, go. That's, that's the king. That's party. the king. And the thing is, I mean, like, I get it. I mean, I know Patrick doesn't want to. He doesn't want to put a name out there. And and I know that sometimes people jump on things, and and I understand that. But I do have to say that, like Dan, I I appreciate that because I mean, anyone with any semblance of common sense would know that, you know, Dan Albus is not is not interested in doing that. He's having no, he's fun. He's a gentle man. Yeah, we need and we need more politicians that have fun. But Patrick was awesome. That was great. Yeah. It was uh, fantastic. He's doing a great job in Brampton.
Okay, so that was a that was a fun show, man. We're just uh, I got to tell you, the listenership for this program is going through the roof. I'm not even kidding, um, and it's evidenced by the sponsors that are coming on board and the support we are getting. So I got to give a shout out to John Mutton at Municipal Solutions, MunicipalSolutions.ca. They are our presenting sponsor, and a quick shout out for Lord and Lady Coffee, the official coffee of Tony and Jody. Uh, See, spoiler alert! I don't. I don't even drink coffee. Seriously? Yeah, I don't. I don't either. Oh, go oh, shoot! But the coffee's amazing. <laughs> the coffee's amazing. Amazing. Yeah, exactly. And I'll get. Well, you know, who I will give a shout out is the that young hustler, that Matthias Sauerbrei. Is that his yes. name? I think yeah, the guy yeah. that yeah. got connected to us. He, um, we're doing stuff with his beans. We have some exciting stuff coming oh, up. Wow. But, yeah, I can't, that kid's only sixteen. And just it just blows me away every time I every time uh, I talk to our head roaster and co-founder Matt O'Coin and he tells me that he's had a combo with Matthias. I just I always have to remind. I always say to myself, "Can you believe he's 16 years old? Like it's just wild." That's incredible, man. So Lordandlady.ca free shipping when you spend over forty dollars, and we'll do that anywhere in Canada. And, and I know I know we have an exciting new sponsor as well, or recent. Recent sponsor, Polytrack with a Q.com. Uh, Chris Moffat Arms and the gang are doing a great job helping GR pros uh, get, get, give them a secure hub to store their advocacy data. Polytrack.com. All right, Tony, we will do this again in seven days. We have some more exciting politicians coming on, and then we're going to transition into some other lines of work. Yes, <laughs> we'll try definitely. to focus on some other things, but. Uh, we have some excitement. Like, I know Bonnie Crombie, right? She's coming on? Yeah, the mayor of Mississauga. So we're uh, going all the way around the Peel region, and uh, Bonnie Crombie's going to give uh, her point of view on all these things as well. So she's coming up soon. And our producer, Travis Langley, will love this one. But Matt Morgan, who is a former pro wrestler and is now the commissioner of Longwood, which is in uh, Florida, right? he's coming on the program. He has an unbelievable story. This guy's seven feet tall. He is like 300 and something pounds and has been in the WWF on TNA and a really, really amazing uh, story. And uh, I'm excited to have him on. I'm going to, I'm kind of like fan girling or yeah. fanboying. Yeah. But because uh, I used to watch him, but uh, it'll be cool. It's going to be cool. We got some great shows. Don't forget to rate and review. And you can find all the podcasts at anandotherthingpodcast.ca. All right, talk soon. Cheers.